Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And welcome to the Game Podcast from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer. And if my voice isn't a giveaway, I'm Gabriel Marcotti. And uh, we thank you for joining us. Now in the studio with us, it's Alison Rudd. And down the line, presumably from some motorway or, or, or a road somewhere, it's Henry Winter. We'll be talking about a huge week in the Champions League, the sacking of Steve Bruce at Aston Villa. And uh, we'll be doing a bit of looking ahead to the weekend too. And we're going to start with what could potentially be the game of the season so far. The two Premier League title favourites face off at Anfield on Sunday. That's Liverpool versus Manchester City. The champions City went top of the Premier League last weekend, while Liverpool's preparations were damaged by defeat to Napoli in the Champions League on Wednesday night. And not just a defeat, but a last-minute defeat as well. Alison, how will that affect the feel-good factor at Anfield right now, do you think? Well, first of all, happy National Poetry Day. Oh, surprise you didn't mention that. And <laughs> so I'd like sorry. I'd like to lift the mood because I've written a poem. Oh, let's Gab, hear Gab it. looked really keen then, didn't he? <laughs> he didn't look horrified at all. No, he you know, I was trying to smile. It'll be lovely. Let's hear okay, it. Okay, it's very short. <laughs> the producer's saying, "Why can't you tell me this in advance?" Liverpool are red, City are blue. Pep has double silver, but Virgil's worth two. You see, I've lifted the mood. <laughs> And uh, there is a point to that, which is I actually actually was pleased Liverpool lost and didn't get a draw because everyone would be saying, well, that was quite professional, wasn't it? And a draw in Italy on Italian soil. English teams don't do well in Italy. They'd won their first game, tough one against PSG. It's all fine. And I think Liverpool have been limping slightly, tactically, and um, just their sort of, their vibe has been one of it's not quite right. And I love the way Klopp was so honest after the game. And I think... If, if they had drawn, maybe he wouldn't have felt the need to reset the team. And I think the defeat will mean he has to reset it. There was something dysfunctional about the midfield. Liverpool midfield is, is a curious one because he seems to have gone for combativeness, which has really helped the whole defensive setup. But it does lack creativity. And I know Cato went off and he's that sort of player that can be both things. It's not quite working. Um, and they lost the midfield in the second half. So I think he just needs to reset the button on what those links are between midfield and attack and who tracks back and so on. That will be good for morale, Natalie, against City. Henry, are you, are you as negative about uh, Liverpool's midfield as, as Alisson is? I mean, is it that without Keita, there's no creativity at all? Yeah, I do agree with that. I don't think it's, uh, it's clicking. I think Milner's been magnificent, but... At his age, he is going to have a dip. I'm a big Henderson fan. I know the fans are often split over him, but I like his energy. I think he technically is actually better than often rated. I think he, he brings and a sort of emotion and a drive and a sort of commitment. And a, it's quite interesting, actually. If you watch Liverpool a lot, he's been one of the biggest talkers. He'll talk to the young full-backs, Robertson and Alexander-Arnold, in a slightly paternal way, but also, like Klopp, He'll give them an absolute shouting at if, if they need it. And this is 
point he's just been making about Klopp and the result from last night. Think about Klopp. Everyone looks at him as this sort of emotional rock star in the dugout, waving his arms around, and he's just this emotional engagement with the players and with the fans. But this is a this is a really scientific, clinical, ruthless man as well. And I, I say all those use all those adjectives as as compliments. When he sees something wrong, whether it's in the match, whether it, he needs to dig out one of the players, or whether it's the goalkeeper he has to change with Carrius and bringing um, Allison in, he does it. So I completely agree with Allison. I think he'll reset the team. Obviously, Keita is the guy who, who can do both. Lalana, were he injured? But, I mean, at this point, I think Lalana is just a concept. <laughs> Shakiri can provide some creativity. But I, I think back to when Liverpool did not sell Coutinho in August of last year. And, you know, I made the point, well, they should have taken the money. I was obviously wrong. They took the money later. Other people said, well, without Coutinho, there's no creativity in this team. Now, this was before people saw how phenomenal Mane, Firmino, and, uh, and Salah could be. But if they dial it back a notch, does this then become a problem? That You know, it's great to talk about Henderson talking and being a wonderful emotional leader and Vinaldum runs around a lot and runs around intelligently and Milner's Milner. But if none of these people can pass and be creative on a day when the opposition gives you a different look and maybe the front three aren't quite as sharp, does that become a problem? Do you go back to my old bugbear of saying, hey, maybe Trent Alexander-Arnold, who actually can be creative, do we give him a look in in midfield at some point? I, no, I, I'm just throwing this out there. No, you don't need to do that. But the... or, or, or do you go with Shakiri, who I think is presumably he's there for a reason, right? He's somebody who, who can unlock. What was the first half where, where Shakiri played in, in midfield for, for a half and did all right? I think it was against South, Southampton. Yeah. yeah, but the... Is that the reset? Well, the reset could just be to remind themselves what they're good at because there is quite a lot of creativity at the back so both fullbacks crossing can be exquisite and fairly ruthless and done at pace and unlock and get behind the opposition the front three can move deeper to pick up the ball going forward knowing they've got that that trio in midfield to support them if they do something outrageous I've written about how Virgil doesn't just intercept, but he intercepts intelligently, which, which can set a move going with just a, the, the right header in the right place, sets, sets someone off on a run. There's probably more creativity at the back for Liverpool than there are for many teams. It's a, it's a question of balance, and if when you have a team that re- requires balance and the balance is wrong, it then looks wonky and poor, which is what it did look against Napoli. Alison's touched on it there. I mean, the, the, the reset and the creativity, a lot of creativity this season, has come from Firmino dropping off. And everyone talks about the force on the line, but also he's becoming like a playmaker. The way he drops in there, picks up the ball and then releases players, whether it's a Milner into space, whether it's Keita, whether it's uh, Mane or Salah. I think, Gab, I know you're also, you are questioning the, the creativity of Liverpool central midfield, legitimately, when you look at their starting positions. But within a blur and this kaleidoscope of movement that Klopp likes, you've got Firmino dropping back in there and creating. Firmino is so underrated, not by people who go to Liverpool every week, not by the players, certainly not by the staff, but he is really almost the brains of that midfield when he does drop off. Could we see, I mean, I'm just going to throw this out there, but could we see, obviously Firmino spent most of his career as an attacking midfielder. Could we see that as an option where maybe Sturridge comes in and Firmino operates from from deeper? Could we see that in certain situations, you think? 
absolutely. I mean, we, you know, you're seeing it kind of late on in games when Sturridge is coming on. Whether Sturridge is right to start, whether you've always got that slight ticking time bomb with him physically, but I think he's been terrific in, in recent weeks when he's sort of come on and had an impact and that goal threat. I, I think definitely as a as a number nine, he he, he works beautifully there. And as you say, for me, you can play off him, and then you you drop one of your worker be central midfielders. Alison Young Klopp doesn't appear to need a blueprint on how to uh, play against City. They've beaten them, what, three times already in 2018. So well, are City fearful, do you think, of taking on Liverpool? Oh, well, I, I doubt they're fearful. I don't know Pep personally, but I suspect that if he suspected that anybody in his dressing room was fearful, he'd be absolutely livid. You don't play the way they play and um, amass the points they amass and the goals they score unless you have that sort of arrogance which means you don't fear anybody but he will know he will know this season already they've wobbled against wolves they've wobbled in the champions league there were periods against hoffenheim where it was clear that whilst we have on this podcast many times bemoaned the fact that people are too deferential to city and don't take note of the teams that do cause them problems hoffenheim clearly had done their homework and you, you can you can rattle them with energy and precision on the counter attack so, if Pep knows that, and he knows that's that's his Achilles' heel with his tactics, then I think he might he might tweak things to I don't know. Would he, we see it as a sign of weakness to go into that game with a different formation or a surprise deployment, or would he think it was more beneficial, given the result for Liverpool, to act as if we don't really care, we're in the zone in the league, and we're going to carry on? But it is at Anfield, and I I do feel the Anfield crowd. There's something special about the way they react when Liverpool have had a blip against big opposition. It will be a very difficult task for City, I think. Uh, Not many managers get the better of Guardiola, but in the head-to-head battle with uh, Klopp over their careers, Klopp has seven wins to Pep's five. Why do you think that might be, Gab? I think purely happenstance. I mean, you have two managers who generally try to impose their game on the opposition and they don't adjust for the opposition. Um, and that's fine. That's one way of thinking, and it makes sense if you're if you're coaching a big team. I think we saw in Naples, um, and I mean, I wrote about this on Monday in the game. But you know, Ancelotti is very different from the guy who replaced Maurizio Sarri. He will be pragmatic, and he will give you different looks and different formations um, over the course of a game. And you know, you see how a game a game is unfolding, and he will change things during the match. And players are used to it, and 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 they respond to it well. Pep and Klopp do it a lot less and I don't mean just like oh look he's made a substitution you know here in England you get all these freaking ex-pros being like oh look he changed the game with his substitution because the guy he brought on scored you know like last week I had some fool like talking about oh it was brilliant from Klopp to send on Sturridge because he got the equalizer that's not what makes Klopp good and it's got nothing to do with anything if you look at man for man the team that defeated uh Liverpool other than Koulibaly, who for me is easily one of the top two or three centre-backs in the world, and and Allen, who I think is a really smart, underrated midfielder. I don't know, if you were to do a combined 11 of those two teams, you'd probably have eight or nine Liverpool players in there. And yet, you had a situation where he was outthought. Now, I think managers have to do what managers do. I don't expect Pep to go and try to outthink and out-tactic Klopp. I just expect him to go out there play his guys his way. 
This season, with your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times, you can watch every highlight and every goal from every game in the Premier League. Subscribe now. It's just £1 a month for a three-month trial. Every Thursday at thetimes.co.uk, our stats guru, Bill Edgar, provides 11 trivia teasers for you. And here's one for you on this podcast. Which Tottenham player has gone more than 100 games for the club without receiving a yellow or red card? Ooh. You're both thinking about this, Alison and Gab. Have a think. And uh, you can find out at the end of this podcast what that answer is. Let's look at the other English sides in Champions League action then. And Henry, you were at Wembley on Wednesday night to witness another Lionel Messi masterclass. Barcelona running out 4-2 winners against Tottenham. Messi getting a brace, taking his tally to just just the five goals in two group stage games this season. 104 goals in Champions League history. Just the 104. It's just absurd. And before I say this, yes, Cristiano fans, your guy has more. (laughs) <laughs> and Harry Kane's into double figures in the Champions League well, I saw that I, I felt like Harry Kane 10 and 12 right they, they mentioned it during commentary and then a few minutes later they're like oh and that's Messi's 104th <laughs> goal I'm like whoa yeah it's a little bit of a difference uh, but, but speaking of, of Messi Henry we're going to miss him when he's gone won't we yeah but I don't think he'll be gone for a bit I mean he's 31 and I've been covering him for years and he's just he's almost become well, he's, he's a man for so many different positions. He can play as a winger. He can play as a playmaker. He can, he can play as a, a number nine. He can play as a fourth line. He can, he can play all over. Spurs tried to foul him last night, and he just rode it. He even put in a tackle on Trippier as well. He's, he's, he's physical. He's got balance. He's got the skill. He can control it with his right and finish it with the left and do it the other way around if he has to. He scored in the air against uh, Manchester United in, in Rome in 2009. So he's got that strength there. He's an absolute phenomenon. Um, And I've I've spent part of this year working with people, writing about him and what makes Messi tick. And what is great is when you talk to professionals about it, there is that with him, they so admire him as an individual, as well as a sportsman, as well as for the sort of technical and tactical gifts that he's got. He is clearly one of the greatest of all time. So, you know, I'm old enough to have seen Maradona in his, in his prime, and he was, for me, he was, he is still just that notch ahead of Messi. But comparisons between the generations are, are crazy because Maradona, you know, the Gentile got kicked a bit, and he, he kept going. The pitches were different. Everything was was, was different. But you know. Messi absolutely stands in the top three players of all times with, with Pelé as well. I mean, he is that good. And we are totally privileged to be able to watch him, to be able to watch Ronaldo as well. But Messi last night at Wembley was just fabulous. I mean, we've, look, we've seen him do it there before again. Manchester United in 2011 when he was pretty much unplayable. You could actually argue last night he was even better because he didn't necessarily have Xavi and Iniesta giving him the ball. Okay, Rakitic and Busquets are fabulous players, but he was creating as well as those great finishes as well. So, no, I mean, it was a privilege to be there. One thing that people never mention or rarely mention is it's not just the argument about about the pitches and the, the kind of defending that, that was allowed in those days. It's also the fact that once the Bosman rule went and once football became so polarized, the best teams have far, far better supporting cast today, um, you know, the superstars. 
than any of those guys from the past, whether it's, it's Maradona or Di Stefano or, or, or Pelé or whomever. It's simply because, you know, there's no more rules on foreigners and the, the, the rich clubs are so rich. We may never know. And obviously both Pelé and Maradona played on some great teams. But they never had the supporting cast that, you know, people like like like, uh, like Ronaldo or or Messi have today. And I think, and I think that's worth noting too when we start pulling out, you know, statistics and and numbers and things like that. Because it's a heck of a lot easier if you're playing in a front line with with Suarez and uh, and, and and Coutinho than you know if you are playing. Okay, Maradona played with Bruno Giordano and Antonio Carreca, which is pretty good. But, you know, then with, with some of the supporting cast those guys had in the past. That's why I like Gilfie Sigurdsson so much. <laughs> but, but, Henry, what about Tottenham? Um, was it all about the absentees? Injury hit, of course, the missing five key players. Was it all down to that? No, not completely. I thought they were a little bit too respectful of Messi. I can understand that because of all the attributes and accolades that Gab's just bestowed on him. Well, I did think they, they stood off him slightly. Winks and Wanyama Son tried to get close to the first goal. But you cannot, you have to stop Messi at source. You can't let him get his head up. You can't let him get those couple of touches and, and deliver the ball. You've got to have to strike early with him. You know, we saw it during the World Cup, the one or two teams. I think it was the, the French game with Kante got so quite close to Messi. You've got to do that with him. Look, it's still a difficult art because he's got the strength and the balance and because he's so short, he can turn quickly against um, against other people. He lands quicker and he's just, you know, he puts three strikes into taller players doing two, so they just cannot keep up with him when he's sort of zigzagging. But, so that, that is literally your only chance to get him is, is to stop him stop him early. I mean, I, I completely take Gab's point about the older players. I, I would just say probably Pelé in, in 70, Pelé's era, he did have some great players around him, certainly internationally. But just in terms of Spurs last night, I, I, I quite like the idea of Pochettino saying, well, go out and have fun. You know, it's a privilege to, to share a field with him. But you've also, you've got to get at him. And I don't think, um, I mean, there were three fouls put in on Messi last night. Two by Wanyama, one by Alderweireld. I mean, that was, you know, the first time English teams came up against Messi, the first six or seven games, they were, they were far more in his face. Manchester United were closing him down. Obviously, as he got, he's, he's played 29 times against English teams now, and he's, become, he's got, scored 22 goals, but mainly in the last sort of 20, 21 games. I think English teams have become too respectful of Messi. Understandably, but there's got to be a balance there. Um, Henry, just a quick one. I... What's up with Hugo Lloris? What's your understanding here? I, it's weird because I think we've seen him make a lot more mistakes than people actually realize, and I, not just the World Cup final. And before that, I, people like the fact that he's athletic and he's good with his feet. But we're starting to see this a lot, aren't we? It, was he not fully fit? Was something was obviously his legal issues playing on his mind? Should this be a concern? Possibly, but I think it's a general thing with, with, with Tottenham players. They don't get that intense scrutiny that a Manchester United, Manchester City, Liverpool player would get. Maybe Lloris has had a slightly easy ride. I don't think you put him in the top five um, Premier League goalkeepers. Certainly not now. Certainly not in the, in the modern era where managers want keepers to be able to play out from the back. Lloris doesn't strike particular confidence in, in, in me when he's got the ball at his feet. I think some of his decision-making, we saw it last night for Barcelona's first goal. I mean, we saw that a lot earlier in his career and it seems to have crept back in his game. 
maybe you're right, maybe there are things off the field that he's not so concentrating so much on. But you look at the quality of goalkeepers around now. I mean, you know, look, he's won a World Cup. He's, he's a fantastic shot stopper. But Burnley have probably got one goalkeeper who can compete with him. Pickford is playing really well. You've got Allison, you've got Ellison, you've got De Gea. So if you want to have a debate about whether um, Luis should be in the top five goalkeepers in the country, I think people might be split 50-50 on whether he actually deserves to be. And, it, you know, and if Tottenham are serious about competing for the very highest honours, they're going to have to look at Loris. Personally, I, I mean, Allison's written very well and completely rightly on this about the fact that and I agree with that. I think it's wrong that he kept the, uh, the the captaincy. I just thought that sent out a terrible message. Particularly when you got Harry Kane in there. You know, give, give the captaincy to Kane. I don't think we'll weigh him down. It hasn't with England, so why should it with the club level? So like, I think there, there, there are many issues there. But also, Loris has got to realise that with um, Gazaniga playing so well in recent games, OK, maybe there were still one or two issues with his distribution, but that he can't take his position as a syndicate. The elephant in the room, though, Henry, isn't it? Wasn't it a bit strange that he is um, involved in a drink driving incident? Then he has this mysterious injury, sort of vanishes, doesn't really say anything, doesn't use it as a platform to, to sort of say, this is, I did something really terrible. But Barcelona are in town, suddenly, lo and behold, he's back. I don't know, I'm slightly morally affronted by the timing of it. Well, he's got no goalkeeper. I mean, Michel Form is injured. You have to play Gazaniga. I'm, I'm not talking about the football, I'm talking about the moral element of... He's ducked exposure to people talking about him. Oh. We now, not, we've now stopped talking about him because we have a you know attention span of 20 minutes in the world and it's Barcelona. And even if all that is n- meaningless, the fact that it's able, I'm able to construct that narrative means it should have been handled differently, I think. Plenty of focus on Manchester United on Tuesday night. A goalless draw at home to Valencia. Jose Mourinho said in his pre-match press conference that some players care more than others. Honestly, like, why, why you got to say that? Why don't you, just, why don't you just, just shut up? It's before a game. When you go out and you say some players care more than others, you're inviting people to speculate, ooh, who's he talking about? Who's he having a pop at now? And it's the same nonsense again and again. Just shut up and work on how to get your team to the stadium on time when it's a freaking home game. Yeah. And Valencia turned up. Yeah, right. and don't blame the police. For a long time now, every time Mourinho compliments somebody, what he's actually doing is pointing out the failings of somebody else. So even his compliments are not very pleasant because they're not meant for the person. They're meant to say, he's playing well, but uh, other midfielders are not, or, and so on. It's or, Everything's very Machiavellian, everything's very political. There's a message. I think he thinks he's being very clever because once upon a time it worked and now it just seems very destructive and counterproductive. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Now 
on to a subject that is very close to my heart and it'll become very clear why shortly. I want to let it be known that I'm not happy about talking about this and you'll find out why. Uh, Steve Bruce became the first manager in the championship to lose his job as he was sacked by Aston Villa on Wednesday. Now, Villa were within 90 minutes of promotion to the Premier League in May, but are currently 12th in the table, having won just three of their 11 games this season. They drew with the bottom side Preston on Tuesday with a fan throwing a cabbage at Bruce before the game. Now, first of all, have fans generally crossed the line when it comes to their conduct towards managers that they don't like, Alison? Oh, anyway, I can't sit here and condone vegetable throwing, although it is quite funny. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it's bad for me to admit that it's funny. And there's a tradition at Chelsea for throwing celery, for example, and no one minds that. So isn't it, maybe it's just part of the rich tradition of English football that Gab really hasn't tapped into yet. <laughs> And but on a serious point, it, it is. I mean, it isn't. It isn't. It isn't. But whoever it was is probably feeling very, very, very uh, smug because mm. it does seem to have been the catalyst, a sort of focal point for fan unrest. And there is a tipping point sometimes in football where, for all that you might admire, like a manager, if the fans aren't fans aren't on board, you just sometimes have to say, well, we can't justify keeping him on because the results aren't overreaching the popularity stakes. You know what bugged me about this? All right, again, obviously nobody wants to see anybody get hurt and so on, right? But equally, he threw it towards Steve Bruce. Now, I don't have the exact dynamic of this, but it's a cabbage. And if he threw it in his general direction. And, and that's fine, and it's upsetting, and if it's the club, then you find the guy and you reject him, and maybe you also sack the people who don't search fans when they come in. I mean, who brings a head of cabbage to a game? What is it, your snack? Like, you know, I'm gluten-free. I need yeah, a cabbage. Exactly. Yes. It says here, a cabbage was thrown at the dugout from the stand. I mean, he's throwing a cabbage. He's not throwing a boulder. A cabbage. Cabbage. He's not trying to assassinate Steve Bruce. Again, if you're a club, you find the guy, you take his season ticket away. But the fact that there's, you know, the West Midlands police are involved and whatever, I mean, really? Like, 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 there's no better use of police time and resources than to identify somebody who threw a cabbage at a dugout? I suspect a cabbage weighs the same as the old-fashioned leather footballs. <laughs> So it I could know, have been a football. It could have been a football. And it, I mean, it could have been a, 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 a rock hard cabbage. For all we know. Yes, and maybe he could have gone up, but he could have stabbed him in the eye with a carrot. And but I mean, come on now. I mean, really? I know what you're saying. See, there are better to me, things that the police could be doing. He goes and he talks. I don't blame the police because you know if they're asked to investigate yeah. by the club and so on. But goodness me, you, you deal with it on your own. You've got stewards. You've got CCTV. You know who's sitting there. You need to go and uh, and, and and involve and then involve the cops in this. I, I don't. I mean, it just it just seems way over the top. And mm. yeah, obviously it's not pleasant, but it's not pleasant to receive insults. I think most managers, indeed most players, have had stuff thrown at them at some point. I'd rather have a cabbage thrown in my general direction than bodily fluids or or or, or stuff like that, which has also happened. So goodness me, like. But bearing mind, someone did take a cabbage to the game with obviously the intention of throwing it at Steve Bruce. Unless Alison's right and it's somebody who's gluten-free and they were going to snack on it. Did they not like it and they just, oh, that doesn't taste right. And After the match, they were going to babysit their auntie's rabbit. Okay. Or hamster. So somehow it it fell out the bag. Their favourite thing. No, I mean, it was 
it wasn't that it was uh, premeditated. They just happened oh, to have a cabbage. I see. Okay. I see where you're going with that. It's quite clear, though, that there was a toxic relationship with the fans and Steve Bruce. That was for quite a while. We, we knew that was happening. Um, he was the former Birmingham manager. Do you think that played any of its part? The fact that perhaps he was never fully welcomed by Villa fans? Oh, yeah. No, if somebody arrives and there's a groundswell of, oh, he's not, he's not one of ours. He's played for, you know, he's been part of them played for them or managed them or just been connected to them, the others. It is very difficult to win, win those people over unless you're relentlessly successful. Mm. And I think getting to Wembley was good. The fans were behind the team then. But, but the, the mess that happened once they didn't get promotion, everything seemed to crumble. And he's just, he's part of that picture, isn't he? There's no, if, unless you're beloved, you're not going to survive that. Let's move this forward, Natalie. Oh, do we have to? <laughs> Who's the bookie's favourite mm, to replace him? Mm. Well, maybe we should overlook the favourite, a certain Dean Smith of Brentford. Oh, wait. So Mr. Smith <sighs> could replace Mrs. Doubtfire? <laughs> oh, yes, he could. I mean, he and is. Who does he support? Well, he is a boyhood <laughs> Villa fan. His family still live in the Midlands. He's a former Walsall manager, yes, I believe. Yes, yes. There's a lot of connections there. I can understand why he's been linked and obviously doing a very good job at Brentford. We can't deny that. But yes, he's very much the favourite. But uh, there's also the likes of Thierry Henry, who was linked in the summer. It took a while for the board to eventually come out and back Steve Bruce at the time, uh, when those rumours circulated that Thierry Henry could take over. Uh, he's third favourite currently. Paolo Fonseca's in there. And then you've got the likes of uh, Sam Allardyce and Brendan Rogers, John Terry as well, and, and David Moyes. One name that I think perhaps I'm trying to push... <laughs> the Villa board in a different direction. Chris Wilder, he's doing a very good job at Sheffield United. They play good football. Why don't they look at him? Go, go look at <laughs> Sheffield United's manager. Leave ours alone. Oh, but you know how it works. You know how it works. If someone's gone because they weren't part of the family, they're going to appoint somebody who feels part of the family. Perhaps. Can I say, and I know the Football League have a new, what is she, chief executive? Is that her title? It's acting chief executive. Or acting chief executive. I find the Football League has historically been pretty crappily run in terms of regulation and people will know about this from the whole Massimo Cellino at Leeds nonsense and the fact that he was even allowed to buy to, to buy the club. I know there's lawyers and legal implications to some of the other dubious owners who've surfaced at different times. But Dicko touched upon this a while back. You should have a hard and fast rule where, especially if it's in the same division, if you're managing one club, you cannot manage another club in the same season. I like this already. Well, I, you like it because right now it benefits you if the shoe was on the other foot. But if you're Villa, you want the best possible manager, you're going to approach not just Dean Smith, but but other managers, Wilder, Sheffield United are in the same division too, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And these guys, if you're Dean Smith, you get a phone call. What are you going to say? Like, no, I don't, I don't even want to hear, hear you out. It puts everybody in a very uncomfortable position. Um, as before, you get into the fact, yes, Brentford could ask for compensation and blah, blah, blah. But even the conversation is kind of nonsense because nobody's going to hang on to a manager who doesn't want to be there uh, or who'd rather be somewhere else. Goodness knows there's enough out-of-work managers out there. If you're managing a division, you can't take over another club in the same division in the same season, period. But then could that not lead to like, pre-contracts, a bit like uh, Julian Nagelsmann, Hoffenheim? Well, that's like pretty much inevitable because managers aren't slaves, mm -hmm. right? But think about this, right? Dean Smith is privy to all sorts of information about Brentford players. Right? He knows exactly how much they, they, they make. He knows their whole medical history. He knows everything about them. 
And halfway through the season, he moves to another club. He brings with him that whole wealth of knowledge. I don't know. It just it just seems so obvious to me. And, and Dick goes right. It just ends up possibly destabilizing two clubs. So I'm with you on that. I know I know you support this simply because it's Dean Smith, <laughs> but still. Hi there, and welcome back to The Sweeper, which is Times' fantasy football tips service. I'm Charlie Scott with Paddy Bear. Hello. And here we are to give you our tips and just preview Game Week 8. And also, just to pick me up for anyone who thinks they're having a bad season so far, Youssef Sheikh, who won Fantasy Premier League last season, is 1.8 millionth in the world. So it just shows it's an up and down world in fantasy land, and don't get disheartened. It is a marathon, not a sprint. Quick pat on the back for Paddy and I for repeatedly tipping Wolves in recent weeks. <laughs> they beat Southampton last weekend. The three at the back of Patricio and the wingbacks, Doherty and Johnny, scored 34 points between them. Doherty setting up Johnny to score. And That's with, the dream combination. <laughs> yeah, I mean, couldn't get any better. And Johnny's celebrated by getting a call up for the Spain squad today, so well done him. Paddy has written a piece for the website this week about how Brighton might be the next kind of under-the-radar team. Yeah, that's the next team to take under my wing. I think their fixtures look rather nice. Um, they've got Pascal Gross coming back from injury, and they've got Jose Izquierdo back as well, which I think, if anything, just strengthens their team a lot. And the supporting talent should benefit from that as well. I think Glenn Murray and Anthony Knockart uh, are going to be pretty safe picks for anyone who fancies a striker or a midfielder around that price range in the coming weeks. Brighton are playing... West Ham on Friday evening, don't forget, that means the deadline for your transfers is 7pm. It's not the most inspiring fixture, so it may have passed you by, but uh, yeah, Murray's quite a good tip for that game. I think he scored, I think, four in the past couple of seasons against West Ham. Which... Yeah, four really this season as well, so he's going well. And Paddy, going a bit rogue, you're talking about possibly playing your free hit. I've had an idea this week, yeah, just for anyone out there who has Aguero and Salah in their team, but doesn't have Harry Kane. Um, Aguero and Salah obviously play each other this weekend, tough game Kane is home to Cardiff but then City and Liverpool have nice games afterwards so you don't necessarily want to sell the big hitters I think this could be a cheeky week for a free hit um, bringing in Kane captaining him and then reassess next week with your original squad just an idea but I'll put something in the email this week with our free hit squad and you can have a look at it and see if you fancy it just head over to thetimes.co.uk forward slash fantasy football to sign up for the email and you'll get that on Friday morning there should be a link in the podcast description as well I think it's time now for our weekly predictions. Don't you think, Gab? Oh, yes. I have, I have a lead to build up again. Yes, well, yeah, you do. I was victorious with last weekend's uh, fixtures, so uh, you still have a lead over me. I think, what, 4-2 it I is? I have twice as many points yes. as you do. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. But let's, let's start then with uh, the big game this weekend in the Premier League, Liverpool against Manchester City. What's your thoughts? I'm going to go for a City victory here. Oh, me too. 2-1. Oh, that's what I've gone for. I've written Oh, it how there. convenient. I know, I can show you. I've done it. I think I have a feeling Pep's going to get it right this time. All right, let's uh, go from uh, Pep to Pep's polar opposite. <laughs> um, I don't know who you mean. <laughs> it could be either manager. It could be Rafa Benitez <laughs> yeah. or Jose Mourinho. But no, let's talk about Old Trafford. United hosting the tune. Yeah, I... Uh, Despite all the turmoil at both clubs, um, I just can't see Newcastle scoring. And I just think that for all the negativity there is surrounding United at the moment, they'll have enough to win this. So I think 2-0. I'm going to go 3-0. Oh, right. Okay. What about the London derby at Craven Cottage, Fulham against Arsenal? The London derby? 
a London derby. Okay, thank you, thank you. Because <laughs> right, obviously it's when Brentford plays that's, Arsenal. That's, 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 yeah, the, that's London the Yeah, I thought Arsenal were really poor against Watford. Obviously they, they, they won, I, I thought they struggled. That said, it's Fulham, and I still don't quite know. They've got so many good players, but it's really hard to get all the pieces to fit. Yeah. So I'm going to go for the uh, for the draw, 1-1. Oh, yeah, okay. I'm going for an Arsenal 2-1 win. Okay. Now we can move into your, your wheelhouse. Uh-oh. I know a tiny bit about Villa because they nearly got promoted last year. I know absolutely nothing about Millwall other than the fact that the manager is the striker who had tumor and now he's better. Neil Harris yes and he was really really good he's a really really good player mm-hmm. and I know a lot of nonsense from the 1970s and <laughs> that is the extent of my knowledge of Millwall I don't think this is going to be an easy game for Villa considering everything that's happening with them right now I think it's gonna be cagey Millwall haven't had the best of seasons either but they did come from 2-0 down to draw at Forest this week so I'm going for a one-all draw okay I'm gonna Take that valuable intel that you gave me. <laughs> I don't know if it is. <laughs> and go by the fact that Villa still have better players. Whoever the interim manager is, I'd imagine they're going to win. I'm going to go 1-0 Villa. Ooh. And uh, in Spain, we, yes. we, we briefly spoke about Valencia and how they weren't that great against Manchester United. They're hosting Barcelona. That's right. So step into my office here. Um, <laughs> I think... Valencia have been less than the sum of their parts, but then the parts aren't great. I think what's going to be really interesting with Barcelona is part of the reason they've had poor results is that they played three times in a week, and so Valverde got it in his head that uh, he needed to go and do a lot of chopping and changing and experimenting and so on, um, and obviously benching Messi and Busquets in their last league outing. I think he's going to do this here. I think he's going to say, all right, international break coming up, not my problem. I'm going to play the A team, and mm-hmm. I think they'll get it done. I'm going to go 2-0. Oh, guess what I went for? 2-0 as well. How convenient. I know, Again, but Mestalla has not been a good place for, for Valencia this season. They haven't won you there yet, and, and after what Barcelona did at Wembley, I can't see them doing anything other than getting a win, and I, I've, I can prove it. It's written here, 2-0. All right, I believe you. Well, let's give you the answer to Bill Edgar's trivia teaser. We asked you which Tottenham player has gone more than 100 games for the club without receiving a yellow or red card. Oh, is it Gary Lineker? <laughs> or does it have to be current Tottenham player? Current, okay. yes. Because Gary Lineker would probably be correct as well, right? Yes, I think you might have a case with uh, Gary Lineker. Uh, you were both sort of going through your options and actually one of the players you thought had been booked hasn't. And that was Christian Eriksen. Should have been booked. <laughs> He's never been booked or sent off in his last 104 games for Spurs. Wow. There you go. Well done, Christian Eriksen. <laughs> that is it for now. Many thanks to our guests today, Henry Winter and Alison Rudd. Now remember, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online or on your smartphone or tablet. It's just £1 a month for a three-month trial. Search The Times subscription for more information. Uh, We're going to be back on Monday after a pivotal weekend at the top of the table, and I'm really hoping that I got my predictions right, Gab. What I'm even more excited about is predictions for the following week because, of course, the Nations League is back. The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk. Thank you.